This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Now, if, if we look at our nations for a moment, we often have the feeling that our nations have been here forever. And of course they haven't. <laughs> you know, uh, my country really only uh, became an independent nation uh, in 1922. Uh, so it's around about 100 years. It's, people in the UK are often surprised to discover that the, the UK changed its identity dramatically in 1922. It was no longer the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. Welcome to Behind the Lines. I'm Arthur Snell. This is going to be the last episode of 2023, and with that in mind, I wanted to do something a bit different while everyone's mind is on feasting and getting over Christmas. So this episode is in some ways completely different, but also relevant to the issues we've covered in the podcast in earlier periods. My guest today, Shane O'Mara, is a professor of experimental brain psychology at Trinity College, Dublin and the author of numerous books and studies. He also has a brilliant substack called Brain Pizza, which I can highly recommend. Recently, Shane published a book called Talking Heads, which explains the unexpected link between human conversation, which of course depends on human memory, and nations, countries, the places we all live in. At a time when nationalism is in its most pernicious and dangerous form, Understanding that nation-states are just a function of human memory, not some inherent feature of Englishness or Russianness or whatever, that feels like an important insight and worth talking about. So that's why it was a real pleasure to be joined by Shane. We had a really fascinating conversation. So before we go to the interview, I just wanted to thank you, the listeners, for supporting this podcast. This is the 20th episode. We've covered a lot of ground. It's the end of 2023. And I very much hope you'll continue to join me in the new year. Shane, welcome. 
Thank you, Arthur. Delighted to be with you. So uh, Shane O'Mara is a professor at Trinity College Dublin. He's joining me today from Dublin, and he is the author of numerous books, but most recently a book called Talking Heads, The New Science of How Conversation Shapes Our World. And from the outset, what I'd say is that I know a lot of listeners to this podcast expect me to be talking about geopolitics, about global events, and we will be talking about those today. But we're going to start uh, with a little bit of a discussion of cognitive science. So Shane, perhaps you could tell the audience first, what 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 area are you a specialist in? And then maybe describe a little bit of this book and, and your work. Thanks, Arthur. Um, so I, my longstanding interest is in understanding the brain systems that are involved in memory. And uh, of course, this is a, a, a major topic of interest as our societies age and uh, as uh, we start to rely on external memory systems like Google and uh, other uh, things like this. And uh, disorders of memory are, are very common, uh, more, much more common than people might think. Mm. And uh, we're going to see more of them in the coming years because uh, we have uh, a, a, a terribly sad uh, wave of dementia uh, expected as our societies age over the yeah. next 20, 30 years. Um, so the good news, I suppose, is that uh, we now know lots about which bits of the brain are involved in memory and uh, the way in which they likely operate. And we have some good hints as to how it might be possible to prevent memory problems or dementia occurring in the first place, but also perhaps even to treat it with the new generation of drugs that are coming along, which I, I want to emphasize are not very good at the moment, but yeah. it's the first positive signal that we've had in this area, I think probably since the 1990s. Yeah, well, and I have to say on that point, I'm sure so many listeners will have experiences with a family member. In my case, two very close relatives of mine have dementia and uh, therefore, I, I take an interest in, in the possibility that um, maybe 30 years from now, the drugs will be working better. Um, but I, I had a question from the outset, which is, are our memories generally as humans getting worse? Because it seems that we have, particularly with the, the smartphone era, you hardly have to remember anything anymore. I mean, as a child, I would need to remember 10 phone numbers, all kinds of other useful bits of information, addresses and so on. Whereas now I, d I don't think I know any any phone numbers really. I probably just about know my wife's number. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I know my wife's number. I don't know my daughter's number. Um, and I certainly don't know anybody else's number. Um, but is, is there any evidence that our memories are getting worse? The answer is no. Uh, what we are doing, I think, very effectively as humans is, is what we've done all our, our existence, which we've offloaded tedious tasks onto machines. Uh, there's no particular reason that you want to give uh, a piece of your brain over to remembering telephone numbers. It's much easier just to remember where you've put them. Right. Uh, and that's much more efficient. It's much less energy demanding. Uh, yeah. And it extends your capacities in ways uh, that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. So I don't know, I must have a couple of hundred telephone numbers in my in my phone. I'm sure you're the same. Um, yeah. I don't have to look them up in a notebook. They're there. They're nice and handy. And uh, it's really, really simple and straightforward. Yeah. Um, and so your book opens with a description of uh, an, a fascinating medical case, Henry Malazan. Um, could you perhaps uh, describe that case and then um, and what the significance of that has been to sort of medical science? 
Yeah, so Henry Malayson uh, is a really a quite astonishing case. Uh, uh, long story short with Henry, uh, he suffered possibly a road traffic accident at around about the age of nine or 10. Nobody's really clear. Uh, the medical records are very poor and the memory of what happened to him within his family was equally poor. But what we do know is that during his teenage years, he started to suffer really very, very severe epileptic attacks, um, uh, possibly up to 50 or 100 attacks a day. So these were profoundly disabling and the drugs available at the time uh, were pretty poor. Um, so they were really sedative in, in their sedating and their uh, uh, effect. Um, and uh, it was clear from some of the work that had been done with Henry that a part of the brain known as the hippocampal formation, uh, which extends from the top of your ear to your temple, uh, appeared to be the place where his uh, uh, epileptic attacks was originating from. So you have two of them, one on either side of, 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 your, of your head. Um, and at the time, very little was known about the hippocampal formation. Uh, it was thought to have a role in smell. And uh, it was thought to possibly have a role in the control of emotion. And uh, Henry elected to have an operation on this part of the brain, and it was a great success. Uh, his epileptic attacks went away. Uh, and uh, this, this was really quite something. And uh, of course, this uh, offered the opportunity to Henry to, to be able to live a normal life. Um, but in the weeks after the operation, it became clear that something was very amiss, that uh, uh, while his epilepsy had gone away, his ability to form uh, what I'm going to call conversationally updatable memories disappeared. Uh, and by that, I mean he uh, was unable to remember the events of the last hours and days uh, in his life. He could remember remote things, what happened to him maybe up to the age of 14 or 15, but new memories, the kind of stuff of everyday life, the gossip that we all trade in, the uh, stories we all tell each other, none of that stuck. Uh, nothing ever stuck for him again. And, I, and I, I'm going to read a small quote from Henry because it gives you a sense of, of, of uh, what it's like uh, to have amnesia. And what I want to do then is broaden out the conversation, if we can, to, to think about the implications and why this is so important. Yeah. So Henry said, every day is alone in itself, whatever enjoyment I've had, whatever sorrow I've had. Right now, I'm wondering, have I done or said anything amiss? You see, at this moment, everything looks clear to me. But what happened just before? That's what worries me. It's like waking from a dream. I just don't remember. And uh, I, I, I find those uh, those couple of sentences really affecting in, in yeah. all sorts of ways. Um, Henry clearly knew he had a problem. So it's not as if having uh, amnesia of the type that he had wiped away his self-awareness, didn't. Uh, his IQ actually remained normal from pre to post the operation, and his yeah. short-term memory remained normal. So you could give him a telephone number to remember, and he could repeat it without much trouble, interrupt him, and it was gone. So yeah. nothing stuck. That's really the, the key point. Um, and what I ask you to do in the book then is to think about what the consequences of having uh, a, a problem like this are. What yeah. you've done is put yourself in a position where your life will always be in the care of others. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, as you say, that where he describes uh, this sort of sense that he, he may have done something awful half an hour ago and he'd have no way of knowing that, that, that there's this kind of blankness. 
um, to, to what's going on, you know, in, in what we all, all regard as memory. And it, it when I first started reading it, I started thinking, well, it's just like an elderly person, but it isn't because even, even when we, we meet people with dementia and so on, but they, they, there's normally, um, you know, some sense of, of what's been going on. Um, it's, it's a really fascinating case. And, and it, it illustrates the importance of conversation uh, and in a way that's that's what your book is about is about how conversation creates societies um so perhaps you could say a bit about that yeah so the, i think the key point just to to kind of reiterate about henry is that you could not update his memory by conversation so all of the gossip that we would trade all of the knowledge that we exchange with each other which we do all the time it's it's kind of like this human default where we tell each other stuff about ourselves all of the time we reveal private information we talk about public information we talk about the football match that happened last saturday or whatever it happens to be none of that existed for henry because it was all lost no new acquaintances uh ever became old acquaintances for him henry because he would meet them afresh every time yeah. uh, so that means that nothing sticks gossip social memories, all of that stuff is lost. But it means further that you can't look after yourself. Yeah. Amnesia implies a life in the care of others, but it means something more. It means that there are no shared realities uh, mm. that uh, will stick um, between us. We're not able to enter into a conversation together and know that the next time we have that conversation together, what we've said to each other in the past will stick. And that's our basis for moving forward together. Yeah. Uh, so the argument I make is that at its core, our memories are social in nature and they are what enable us to uh, have a collective existence together because of this continual information interchange that yeah. we engage in all the time. And that's, I, I'd say that was such a fascinating idea for me, because I suppose, like most people, I think of my memory, or anyone else's memory as a completely private sort of, you know, hard drive, that that only I have access to. And obviously, in some ways, that's true, that my thoughts are, are there. But by definition, of course, they're, they're formed by having lived, you know, I, I haven't been a hermit, and therefore, they've been formed by life around others. And 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 I, I'm just going to read a bit that you, you've got in, in, in the introduction, it says we humans are naturally motivated to create a shared reality with others, based on shared feeling beliefs and concerns about the world. And and that re and, and you contrast with um, our two uh, closest cousins sort of in the animal kingdom, uh, chimpanzees who are extremely violent, and uh, orangutans are very solitary and we're somewhere in the middle aren't we yeah so we, we occupy this amazing kind of uh, sweet spot so orangutans really are solitary they only meet up to hook up they don't really uh, get engaged uh, otherwise they they you know the nickname for the orangutan is the old man of the forest uh, and you're lucky if 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 you see one whereas yeah. chimps are very cooperative but yeah. my God, they're very violent. Uh, yeah. We look at chimps in zoos and think these are kind of nice creatures, but they're being fed and uh, they're in constrained circumstances. But chimp yeah. uh, skeletons bear bite marks. They bear, uh, they have lots of scratches. They, yeah. they do each other terrible violence. Yeah. Um, and it's estimated, depending on whose study you look at, that they're between 20 and 30 times as violent to each other as are humans. Wow. And uh, humans, of course, you know, when we fight, we tend to do it with words. 
we tend not to do it with fists. Yeah. Um, whereas chimps scratch, bite, punch, <laughs> tear each other limb from limb. Um, and who's up and who's down? It's all. It's kind of like a Klingon society, if, if you watch <laughs> uh, uh, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. So, so this this point about um, conversation and shared memory uh, is is really at the heart, in in your argument and and your research, sort of at the heart of of human civilization, basically. In essence, yes, because uh, if if you have a situation where nobody can remember. And there's no common theme, no common story that people have collectively. Well, then cooperative efforts are impossible. Uh, they might at best be fleeting. Uh, so, you know, if you do a, a simple uh, experiment, a thought experiment, imagine trying to create a football team de novo from a, a group of amnesics like Henry. It will be impossible. Nobody's going to learn anything. Nobody's going to knew the drills, yeah. nothing. And that's a, a kind of a very elementary kind of example. You know, if you're trying to do something more complicated, imagine a deliberative assembly uh, where uh, uh, nobody remembers what happened previously. Uh, the minutes of the of the assembly don't stick. Decisions are lost and nobody is able to enter into this kind of shared reality where everybody knows we agreed X previously we're moving on to do y now and the consequences of x have been such that we have to set it aside and y is now our decision yeah. um uh, and and we kind of overlook how amazing this capacity is because it's so natural to us and yeah. it's it's only when you contrast what we can do with other species that i think that that suddenly becomes uh the the the, the point of departure of interest for us as humans that we can sit together we can deliberate together we decide together and we bind ourselves to courses of action but no troop of of uh chimpanzees is ever going to do this no pride of lions or uh yeah uh, anything else it, it's something that's really unique uh to we humans yeah and um and i think also it, i was very interested by that where you explore uh for those fairly small numbers of humans that, that that can't really participate. So, I mean, Henry Malaison is one example of, of a sort of medical limitation. But there is, of course, uh, I thought it was really fascinating, the, the idea of how people who are um, who get sucked into the kind of conspiracy mindset also end up being excluded because, of course, they, they can't really draw on on a shared basis of, of, of agreed facts, can they? Yes, yeah, so the, I think the conspiracy mindset and the kind of way people think together is is almost a microcosm of what goes on in, in society at large. Yeah. But what is missing there is that they are not constantly recalibrated by input that they get from others that say, no, you are talking nonsense. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that's not true. That yeah. language you're using is unacceptable because yeah. groups yeah. of racists are... Uh, or homophobes or whatever other yeah. uh, reviled group you care to to choose engage in the same self-reinforcing conversation and it's only when they try and make contact with reality uh, or contact with other people that they realize that they're in a, a very very different uh, position uh, if, 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 if I may be slightly controversial uh, for a moment I, I often felt during the whole Brexit debate looking on it from a, from the outside that Brexiters were very good at having conversations with themselves, but very, very poor at understanding how anybody else would look yeah. on uh, the contents of those conversations. Yes, yeah, yeah. Very, very true. And of course, a classically um, illustrated in, in the way that 
uh, Britain behaved again with its European neighbours, notably your country, Ireland, but also, you know, France and elsewhere, that there's a sort of assumption that it was not just the job of British people, but it was the job of everyone in Europe to join in with Brexit, um, as if somehow, you know, it was it was all your project as well as theirs. Yeah, and we were quite happy not to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we, we've talked a bit about this idea of kind of shared, uh, shared understanding, uh, shared memory. Um, how does that translate into the concept of nations and, and, and basically into what is currently, uh, you know, a, a world of nation states so you know we can use these terms like the westphalian world or whatever but you know we, we we live in it we live in a world where people understand that there are countries and there are nations and nationalism national identity these are all uh complex concepts where where does this uh this work fit in with that yeah so there's a, a, a as, as it would happen a slightly uh, complicated story here but um at one time it's clear that there were no borders uh, you know, when humans made those multiple trips uh, out of Africa 50 yeah. to 150,000 years ago, we did it in multiple waves. We did it on foot. Uh, and the only borders that we ever encountered were physical in nature, yeah. you know, so they would be river watercourses or, yeah. or whatever. But uh, at some point, uh, people, uh, and of course, one of the key things about doing this is that humans uh, conquered the world together on foot. Yep. But they did it through an exercise of imagination that where we are is not great. Uh, over the horizon, it might be might a bit be better. better. Yeah. Um, but we had to talk about this. And we had to imagine this together. Uh, so what you have is this continuous and sophisticated application of memory, language, imagination to create these uh, kind of complex uh, ideas that, yes, we're going to gather up all our gear. We're going to move on. Uh, it might be dangerous, but it might be better. Yeah. Uh, so that that's kind of, I, I think, has to be the starting point. Now, if, if we look at our nations for a moment, we often have the feeling that our nations have been here forever. And of course, they haven't. <laughs> you know, uh, my country really only uh, became an independent nation uh, in 1922. Yeah. Uh, so it's around about 100 years. It's, people in the UK are often surprised to discover that the, the UK changed its identity dramatically in 1922. It was no longer the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. And Ireland, yeah. And uh, it was reshaped. Uh, and in you know, the last decades, uh, the uh, Czechoslovakia split uh, with no guns, no violence, no anything um, uh, into two nations. And from the uh, estimates that, that are out there, there are perhaps 20 or 30 new countries have come into existence in the last 30 years, which is... Yeah you know, quite, quite something. Mm -hmm. Now you have to ask yourself, how is this possible? Um, what is it that's going through the minds of people when they're thinking about how a country should be created? And uh, you can see this in documents or commonalities in documents as, you know, as, as far apart as, as uh, the Federalist Papers in the US, imagining what a nation might be, um, are the revolutionaries here in this country in the 1880s and 1890s imagining a, a future Ireland um, yeah. and right up to the present day. Um, and the key thing, I think, the, 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 the late uh, Anglo-Irish political scientist, uh, Benedict Anderson, suggested that at, at its core, we imagine our communities together. 
and and he he gave us this idea of the imagined community mm. um and the imagined community requires us to be able to talk to each other it requires us to have an idea together of the extent and boundedness of our nation that here's our border that's all and a border faces two ways something brexiters found a bit hard to understand i think um but uh, the core point is that uh, we're able to enter into uh, a shared reality between the individuals that we define uh, as being members of our nation and we give each other uh, for whatever uh, reason, a whole variety of, of kind of benefits and other things from yeah. um, recognize you as, as being members of, of that nation. Um, and my key point here really is that without this continuous and really sophisticated application of memory, blended with language, blended with uh, imagination, this would not be possible. Mm. And um, as it happens, the brain system that is involved in memory the hippocampal formation is also the same brain system that's involved in imagining the future. Right. Uh, so memory and imagination are tied in together uh, in a really, really intimate way. And if you think about, uh, for example, the language that uh, I'll take you to U.S. presidents as a, as a contrast, Reagan and uh, and Trump. Uh, Reagan spoke about the future in in glorious terms. Uh, he mm. will be mourning in America and all, yeah. of, all of these wonderful phrases. Um, whereas Trump always spoke about uh, things in restorative terms, the journey yeah. back to the past. Yeah. It, it's make America great again. again. It, was, yeah. it was great. Whereas the vision Reagan offered was, was a really positive one of the future. Um, and I think politicians who are good at uh, this whole business of, of uh, speaking uh, to the people of a nation are very, very good at sliding along this mental timeline. Um, that they, they uh, uh, have you centered in the present, they invoke elements of the past that are relevant to their case, and they ask us to join together to imagine a future together. Yeah. And they can only do this because we have brain systems that allow us uh, to do this, and the limit case, of course, is is somebody like uh, uh, Henry, who's not able to join in simply because uh, his memory is not updatable. He can access yeah. some of the things of the past, but the journey together is impossible simply because he uh, is unable to update his memory, and he's not able to imagine together with other people what might come to be. Yeah, and. This this idea of imagined communities, of course, for some people who uh, probably um, adhere to a fairly conservative viewpoint of, of what countries are, they, they probably would be a bit threatened by it because you, you, they think you're saying they're not real, that imagine, imagined is not the same as real. But in a way, you're, you're not you're not making that distinction, are you? No, not at all. And I, and I don't think anybody should. Um, you know, laws, in a sense, you know, are imagined. Yeah. You know, we, we sit down in a legislative assembly and we write laws uh, and we bind ourselves to them. The fact that something is intangible does not mean that it's not real. Um, yeah. You know, we can't touch this conversation we're having. Um, uh, you see me as a, a flat 2D 
representation. Yeah. I see you as a 2D representation. I know the, re the reality uh, is different that you have a 3D existence. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the fact that these things are, are in our imagination doesn't mean that they're not real. Uh, we bind ourselves to them. And of course, the proof of that is that people are willing to die for other members of their imagined community. And we're yes. seeing this uh, in many places around the world where, where conflict uh, arises. We're seeing it in Ukraine at, at present, where there are two competing visions, one of, of an imperializing Russia uh, and the other of a, of, of a nation that is rejecting uh, that imperialization. Mm. Um, I, I want to explore more the, this, this sense of, uh, of sort of imagination and group memory as as it uh, applies to countries and i was wondering whether um is it different depending on the the sort of geography or or other elements because of course you have you know you and i are both from island nations um Brit britain and ireland albeit you know in both cases you know pluri plurinational and, and and various complicated borders that exist but ultimately uh you know we are we're floating in a sea and I remember someone telling me it, it took me to, to go to live in another island nation in Trinidad before I, I got this insight that if you live on an island, the border is a separation because it's a, it's a body of water. It's a sea and you know can be dangerous to cross and so on. Whereas if you live in a continental nation, the border is a is a meeting point, you know, that by definition and, and this this concept of insularity. Which again, it, it's funny how you you can see it in other places, and then you don't necessarily recognise it in yourself. Um, I think we saw a lot of insularity in in Britain again through the Brexit years. Um, but so, is there a difference? Because I I sort of think of um, you know there are there are complicated bits of the frontier between Belgium and the Netherlands where there are little sort of bubbles of one country inside the other, um, and it, it is 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 that then different to what it might be like to be from, I don't know, a, a remote island in the Indian Ocean where there's probably not much uh, immigration. In there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities.
abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Immigration. Yeah, just, that's a, a really interesting question, and one I haven't really thought properly about, I must be honest. Uh, so I, I do discuss the example of the enclaves and counter-enclaves yes. and counter-counter-enclaves uh, on the, the Indian-Bangladesh uh, border, right? Uh, where you you have, as, as, as you say, with Belgium, these little pockets mm. uh, uh, of land. Or, they, they can be quite large, you know. Yep. I think in, in the, the case of, of India and Bangladesh, you uh, perhaps several hundred thousand people were uh, yeah. uh, living in these pockets uh, where you might have one pocket surrounded by a, a, another pocket. I, I think you see there you have an interesting disjunction, don't you, between uh, being a, a member of the nation. You might regard yourself as Indian or Bangladeshi, but you're not able to avail yourself of the rights of that nation. Uh, yeah. uh, so you, you can't access the the kind of paperwork uh, that, that entitle you to travel. You might not be able to get a passport. Uh, you might not have uh, mm. able to register births. You know, the, all the, the the kind of things that uh, sit in the background, which, yeah. you know, to go back to the issue of imagination, these are imagined things. You know, somebody right. had to sit down and say, well, we're going to write down uh, 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 date of birth, place of birth, yeah. all of those kinds of things, and we're going to put it in a register, and yeah. other people can go and look at that. That's yeah. a really weird thing to do. You know, we didn't do it 3,000 years ago or no. 5,000 years ago. It's something that we've done in the modern world. Um, and similarly, this issue with passports, uh, you know, uh, we didn't need passports to wander around the world 10 or 20,000 years ago. They didn't exist. They, yeah. they became a, uh, something that we've really put a lot of effort into, magicking into being. In, in the last years. Now, to, yeah. to think about uh, nations for a moment, I I, I wonder, uh, I, I I just, I, you know, I, I, the best I can do is anecdote. Uh, I, I don't know of any systematic data. Um, here, I often think we've been spared most of the extremes of politics because we're a little bit remote. Uh, we, we've got uh, a buffer, <laughs> which is the large island beside us. Yeah. Uh, and that in turn is separated from the uh, uh, the rest of of, of uh, uh, Europe. Now, yeah. if I was if I was stranded in the middle of the Indian Ocean on a on a little island uh, with no immigration and no emigration, I guess my knowledge of the outside world would be bounded by what I can get from mass media, and I might have yeah. no access uh, to that at all. Um, in which case. What I might know and what I might think is reasonable is going to be very, very circumscribed yeah. uh, compared to somebody who's who's uh, made it off the island and realized Manhattan is out there and Sao Paulo yeah. is out there and that there are other people living other lives. But again, you know, to sit back a little, the the circumscription of an imagination is not the same thing as having no imagination. Yeah. And these people will construct realities together. They will sit together. They will make decisions about, well, will we hunt um, in a particular area? Uh, will we go to fish in another area? Will we farm in another area? Uh, how do we mark the passage of, of important people in our tribe? Uh, what rituals uh, will be associated with birth and death and initiation into adulthood and all of those kinds of things? And yeah. these are all conversation based, you know, the, yeah. the fall out of the sky. Uh, people had to... Uh, sit around and invent them um and uh you know I, 
again, just to go back to a British example, mm. lots of the uh, uh, ceremony around uh, the opening of Parliament uh, with Black Rod and uh, all of that stuff, mm. that was all invented in the 1880s. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and uh, I, I loved, I, I saw a piece on the coronation of King Charles where somebody said, nobody really remembered what we were supposed to do because it was so long since the last one. Right. Uh, it hadn't been written down. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, what indeed. People remember um, is what they see on telly. <laughs> yeah, and and we have this thing of um, people sort of love to talk about pageantry and a thousand year old ceremony and so on. And but if you read some of the accounts of of coronations of earlier um, kings and queens of 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 Britain and earlier England, uh, were completely chaotic. And uh, you know, I mean, the the idea that these are these kind of sort of um, set in a glorious historic, you know, sort of like a beautiful costume drama. You know, I, I think that they, they, a lot of them would have been kind of slightly hilariously badly organized and, and you know, um, and look chaotic. Um, but, but I, if, if I might just make yeah. a, a quick point there, you've, you've yeah. said something very important, which is, is worth mentioning as well. A key point uh, regarding the imagination or the imagining of a nation into being is this idea that it's a quote antique that, right. it, that it has a, a history uh, and that it's a history that goes back uh, yeah. a very long way. And of course, that history is often imagined. Yes. You know, yeah. it, it, it's not uh, a history that we can verify uh, with respect to uh, the history books or uh, to journals from the time or, or whatever. Mm. It, 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 it's the kind of common understanding that we come to have. Yeah. Um, and again, how do we come to have that? We come to have it because we talk together. We listen to the radio. We uh, are given yeah. bits of information from here, there, and everywhere. And uh, we use group conversation then to calibrate what we think is true of, of our world. Yeah. And, and of course, another great example in, in the English context, and this is England, is specifically, is, is we talk about Magna Carta. And, and for certain sorts of people, that's an important milestone on the journey to individual rights and democracy and so on but and you know most historians of that era would would say well it you know definitely it, it's not a it's not a simple one-way street you know that that begins with 1215 um i i wanted to talk a bit about migration because it's one of the central political questions of the modern era it doesn't matter which country you're in it, it's it's significant and important and of course this idea of shared memory if you are a, a new person in a country uh you may have had some access and maybe you've read some books or watched some tv shows or whatever but, but but fundamentally you're you don't have that reservoir of shared memories um is 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 there um is it simply that people have to sort of arrive and catch up in order to feel as though they belong or or, or is there something more complex about how a new person in a society can can kind of feel that they they're, they're accepted yeah so i i think countries differ dramatically in terms of of uh, how collectively as countries they approach this uh the us example of course has been very successful uh, yeah. uh you know a country that didn't exist 250 years ago now has 700 languages uh, spoken in new york um and uh you know the the line about being a hyphenated american uh, your Irish American or your German American or yeah. whatever it happens to be uh, has been a really very clever way of of dealing with difference. Yeah, uh, uh, you had these astonishing numbers of people pouring, principally out of Europe, but also to a lesser extent out of of 
China uh, mm. in the 1800s to the China to the west coast. Yeah. Um, but fleeing oppression and, and difficulty and other things in in their homelands, mm. and they go to a new place. And they can become American, but it's okay to be Irish American. It's okay to be Anglo American or whatever it, it, it happens to be. Um, and what you see very quickly, and there's something that's not really, I think, very well understood by people, is just how quickly people acculturate. So I'll, g- I'll give you a very, very simple example. Um, if I went to live in the UK, I would probably, uh, and I did live in the UK, so I, I retained my Irish accent when I was there. Mm. Um, but if if my wife and I had had our daughter over there, um she would initially have learned to speak with uh our accent yeah and then she would have acquired the accent of her colleagues in school and her peers in school um and uh very very quickly uh uh what people know is determined by the peer group uh that they are part of and yeah. for children uh it, it the marker of accent is a very quick and easy one um that they stop speaking in the home accent they might in some cases there 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 are some linguistic studies showing that they they will adopt the accent when they go home again but uh, mm. it's gone when they go to school they they have this yeah. kind of uh bistable uh state where their accents are concerned um so addressing the kind of larger question um you know france takes a view that you are french and you de l'etat say moi uh kind of view and that everybody's french and it doesn't matter what your origin is that you must become french Mm. Um, in ireland we've uh, gone from a position where we had zero or one percent of the population was uh immigrant to now about 18 percent or 20 percent in about 20 years um and uh generally the incident in dublin a few weeks ago uh uh, it's been entirely friction free um but there's been this kind of idea that people are expected to become, quote, new Irish um, and their children will uh, get involved in the Gaelic Athletic Association wow. or Irish dancing or I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, that uh, there's a kind of a blending uh, yeah. that, that's expected. Um, and that has worked, I think, pretty well. And we we have citizenship ceremonies uh, um, for people. Um, but I, I think countries haven't, really negotiated this uh, are, are, are very quick to forget their memories of, of how their own countries came into being. You know, yeah. um, these islands weren't uh, populated 12 or 14,000 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think the earliest presence on this island, uh, Ireland I'm talking about, mm. dated to about uh, 10,000 years ago in Kinsale in uh, County Cork. Um, I'm sure uh England must be somewhat similar um, yeah. maybe maybe a little bit earlier maybe 12,000 years ago um and those people had no sense of of what a nation was yeah. uh, what there was was a fertile island <laughs> go and yeah. live on. Yeah. Uh, maybe get away from that asshole uh <laughs> down the street who keeps stealing your wheat uh or or whatever yeah. <laughs> uh it happened to be um so i, I think People being willing to move, people wanting to move is natural. It's, it's part of what makes us human. Uh, this is how we've occupied the uh, the whole of the planet. Yeah. Um, and uh, tensions clearly arise. Um, but, you know, I, I think part of the problem, at least the, the, the data that I'm aware of, show that you get tensions where public services have been run down and there hasn't been adequate housing. Yeah. And a scapegoat is looked for. 
uh, and that I, like we have a particular problem because the uh, population has risen so fast um it's gone up by about a hundred thousand a year uh for quite a while um, mm. so we started out you know <laughs> three million uh, a few years ago we're 5.2 yeah. or 5.3 now and and we should be much higher and our government simply hasn't built Built houses. yeah it's, it's that simple yeah and it i mean it's it you know again when, when you when you dig into the anxieties that people feel um about migration it is normally ends up being a discussion about housing getting a, appointments at doctors surgeries and and you know schooling uh you know that the, there are some people who hate people who have a different skin color, but there aren't that many of those people, are there? You know, that's that's quite an unusual thing to end up end up feeling. Yeah. Um, um, but again, these are problems yeah. that we impose on ourselves. Yes. Uh, the, and these are problems that we can solve ourselves. Right. Uh, the, the, yeah. the, they're not a given of the natural world, uh, like the, the water courses through our towns yes. and cities or whatever. Yeah. And we can divert those too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, we we can uh, add flood defences against them. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's a question of our being willing to create a shared reality together. Yes. <laughs> a shared reality together. Yeah. I wanted to talk perhaps finally about a little bit about nations that end. And, and there's been... Uh, not not particularly well known about, but in 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 the last um, couple of months, there has been an example of this. So Nagorno Karabakh, which was a, a part of Azerbaijan but populated by Armenians, uh, there was there not a recognised nation, but certainly a nation. It had a flag, it had a capital city, it had a government. It was called Artsakh, and it was the Armenian enclave in 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 Azerbaijan, and that ceased to exist. Uh, the, the 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 government um, fled. Most almost all of the population fled to Armenia, um, and so so that is a that that's a, a thing that was once there that it isn't there now. And then I suppose another case study that is is uh, sort of grimly inevitable is as a result of climate change. Some island nations, very low lying island nations, the Marshall Islands, um, some of the others, uh, will cease to be cease to be at some point later in this century um so is is that something is it because of course it's not unique in history that that nations have ceased to be um you know there are there are sort of kingdoms in central europe that don't exist anymore is is there something about how um how sort of communities deal with that kind of loss so i don't think there's a, a we have a very good understanding of what's going on uh there but yeah. I, I think that you know the kind of core Part of this has to be that the the shared conversation that sustains a nation is gone, yes, um, and it's 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 uh, it's it's broken up in some sense, and that the kind of shared commitment uh, that we have to each other and to our future together is lost, um, and that's because a supervening vision has come along, um, yeah. and uh, that supervening vision has of course been taken on and uh, owned. Uh, and become part of the conversation of a group that may identify itself in particular ways. It may, it, it might be, you know, they they wear particular clothes or they 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 worship on a Saturday, not on a Sunday, or yeah. who knows? It, it it doesn't really matter. Um, but the the key point is that people are able to define an in group and an out group 
Yeah. And uh, it, it may well be the case that the outgroup is a smaller group that has much less power and uh, they're not allowed into that shared conversation. You know, and a generous way of, of looking upon these things, of course, is to say, well, we're all humans together and uh, we have to share this space together. But yeah. very often uh, conflict arises over resourcing, over, yeah. over issues to do with power um, and often memories of things that may or may not have happened, but that fester in various ways and that could be weaponized uh, by clever politicians. And, you know, we saw that uh in in eastern europe in the the late 1990s um, yeah uh, again and and of course we have continuing unresolved issues there 30 or so years on yeah and and arguably similarly perhaps in in israel palestine where there is uh you know there's a reservoir of uh of resentments and and um injustices for both sides to draw on and 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 therefore it, it you know that that clouds the present day considerably doesn't it yeah but you see again you know think think again about the the shared uh area we have on this island uh yeah. between the uk and and uh and ireland yeah. um you know with with generosity it was possible uh for the communities there to come together now yeah. what's happening at the moment is, is not good but mm. compared to what happened before sure. <laughs> it's much much better and and this willing into being of of new institutions uh, of of new things that people commit themselves to, and this willingness to allow people to have a kind of a, a the phrase was used at the time a, a variable geometry uh, of of uh, connectedness, so that you could have you could be British, you could be Irish, you could be both, yeah. you could be Northern Irish. Uh, yeah. That diffused much of of of. Uh, the tension there but uh of course it took a long time to get to that point uh you know yeah. there was 30 years of of, of uh, terrible violence uh before then and it's been you know it, it's, it's been a little bit unstable there's an equilibrium though that uh is better than the one that <laughs> obtained before yeah yeah definitely um and interesting i i wanted to perhaps finally um that that reference to um the, the the complexity of british uk irish relations uh draws on draws us onto another related point which is the way that um nationality as a as as a useful tool of a status has become very desirable and the classic case study is the irish passport which um you know for decades i imagine the average british person wasn't particularly interested in what an Irish passport was. Um, and now uh, just about everyone I know is is researching whether they have an Irish grandparent or you know whether they can um, they can avail themselves of of being obviously a European citizen. Uh, and um, it's fascinating because and I'm sure you you've had cases you you'll know of people like this. I, I know of people who have a grandparent born on the island of Ireland because one of their ancestors was a British soldier, arguably part of a sort of colonial oppressive force, but that still entitles them to be a citizen of your country and therefore a citizen of the European Union, where somebody else, you know, whose grandparents were not involved with that thing, were, were, don't don't have that. So so that's one case study. And then the other the other sort of related thing is that, you know, there are certain countries now that will sell you nationality. Yeah, Belize. Um, yeah and 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 you know it's often small islands in the caribbean and it, it could be useful for people with slightly um controversial backgrounds to to sort of launder their um 
launder their own story. So is 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 that are these things sort of breaking down what it is to be a citizen because um, it's it's more about a series of sort of privileges that go with that rather than what you describe, which is sort of part of human evolution. Yeah, so that that's a, a really interesting point. So I, I, I think, you know, some people will have an instrumental relationship with a passport. They don't give a toss. Uh, yeah. They literally are citizens of nowhere to use mm -hmm. uh, your former prime ministers. Uh, well, they are citizens of somewhere. They just don't care where. They don't care. Yeah. They don't care. Um, now, the issue with the Irish passport is kind of interesting because uh, I think the general view among Irish people is that uh, this nation uh, has had a, a really unpleasant past. And, yeah. uh, uh, Irish people ended up all over the world and we like to feel connected with them. Mm. Uh, the 70 million or so that claim uh, uh, Irish descent. Um, yeah. And there's relatively little issue, uh, I think, with, with people in the UK. We kind of welcome it. Uh, in a way, you know, it's it, it's nice to see people wanting to establish, a, like, I, I believe John le Carre, for example. Uh, Indeed. Uh, yes. became the last, a, the, In the last few weeks of his life. life yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's fun for us. To, like, again, I believe Margaret Thatcher had a, I don't know, a grandmother who... Uh, uh, it was Irish, so it's, right. it's fun for us to 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 discover these uh, yeah. uh, kind of relations. And actually, in the UK case, I understand that if you were born in Ireland before 1948, hmm. you are entitled to a UK passport. Oh, so it, yes, it goes both ways. Yes, yeah. because of the Ireland Act, uh, which uh, finally recognised that uh, we might not be foreign, but uh, we were separate. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's I, that. I didn't know that side of it. I, I'm. Uh, I, I don't want to talk down the country, which is a thing that people say. But um, I, I wonder whether how many people are, if they already have Irish citizenship, they, there isn't much need to have a British passport because, of course, you you've got the common travel area anyway. Um, but I think well, I think we, it's about, not you. We have the common travel. Yes, area. yes, right, yes. <laughs> um, the um, the it's but it's a fascinating case study, of course, because you have undoubtedly, uh, you know. Uh, centuries of of Britain dominating Ireland, colonizing Ireland, and in the culture in in England in particular, um, uh, belittling Irish people in in all all manner of ways. And now um, that you know, there's been there's been a considerable change. One that the the passport has become a desirable asset. I wish I had an Irish grandparent. I don't, sadly. Um, but also the, 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 the irony of the post-Brexit uh, arrangements where now people like Rhys Mogg have to set up their, their hedge funds in Dublin because they, they, they need that access to the EU market. So that, that's, a, that's in, in terms of a, a collective memory, it must be very um, transformative for the Irish people to see this, this evolution of status vis-a-vis -vis the former colonial power. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, again, I, I like to be data-driven in what I say, so I, I, I don't really know if there if have been any behaviour and attitudes kind of uh, surveys on this, but uh, my sense is that uh, people are interested and amused by it. Yeah, right. Well, that's, that's very, very diplomatically put. Um, well, Shane, uh, this your book is really fascinating, and, and as this conversation, I hope, has borne out, um, and... Uh, I, I guess it, my my last question is uh, about 
uh, AI and tech because memories um, created by humans interacting, you know, are the, are the basis of of all human society everywhere. Uh, but we're, we're just sort of on the verge of a world where people can interact with non-human bots and, and and it and so on do you think do you think that will then change the sort of fundamental nature of human society i i don't know is is, is the honest answer you know so if, if, if we think of a few uh cases uh that are worth kind of focusing on uh elon musk has has made a big noise about Neuralink um and uh you know pretending that this technology that they're using is one that's new and of course it's not it's it is uh goes back to the 1940s um yeah. and uh this idea that humans and ai will merge uh is nonsense and his technology will not allow you to do that right um ai needs all the data in the world for it to work yeah. you know so literally it, yeah literally it needs every bit of data humans don't no. Uh, the, 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 if I might use a technical term, the, the neurodynamics of the brain are such that the brain needs almost no input to generate its output. So you and I have learned to speak, uh, you know, in our early years of life, we might only have been exposed to a few hundred thousand words mm. and somehow we can magic a complete grammar out of it. Mm. Um, we can, uh, uh, end up creating memories together. Uh, we can interact together across the water as we are doing with yeah. almost no data at all uh, yeah. because uh, our brain have, uh, engages in this thing called a default mode activity where it's constantly talking to itself and yeah. it's constantly testing ideas and hypotheses against what's going on in the outside world. Now, it might be something as simple as what's the weight of this pen that I'm picking up? Um, am I going to be thirsty in five minutes and I'm going to need a drop of water? Uh, or what it is that you're going to say in anticipation or to the, the whatever conclusion I come to uh, at the end of this sentence. You know, there's all of that kind of thing going on. Um, yeah. So our brains and AI are, are really very, very different. Uh, we've been sculpted by uh, years of, of uh, evolution. We've been selected in, in particular ways. And uh, I, 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 I might be proven wrong but i'm not one of these ai doomsters uh, I, I don't think that the singularity is coming sky not skynet isn't coming to kill us uh it'll just be another tool that uh, uh we'll get used to in the same way they go we got used to wheeled vehicles and calculators and literacy uh and this amazing technology the book yes. you know uh you can go to the library here and pull books that are 500 years off the shelf and yeah. uh, you can read them. You can't do that with a CD from 1990. No, good point. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a perfect point to conclude. Well, the, the, this particular example of amazing technology, Shane O'Mara's book, Talking Heads, The New Science of How Conversation Shapes Our Worlds, highly recommended. Thank you for talking to me today. And thank you, Arthur. That was great. I really enjoyed that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Lines. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. And if you've enjoyed it, please give us a positive review from wherever you get your podcasts. Behind the Lines is produced by me, Arthur Snell, and the music is by Matty Benbrook.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.